0: Man, I love that song and the reminder of the gospel, not only in the objective realities that Christ died upon the cross bearing our sin, but helping us to understand the subjective reality as well, that in order for the gospel and the work of Christ upon the cross to be good news, we need to recognize the indictment that the gospel places upon each one of us. In other words in order for the cross to be good news for you you've got to recognize first that it was the cross was required because of your sin and that song so wonderfully puts us there saying ashamed I hear my voice call out among the scoffers we don't often like to identify ourselves as among the scoffers among the ones who put Christ upon the cross but indeed Our sin did just that, but it was through that cross that then we receive redemption. Hallelujah, praise to Jesus, amen? Well, as we come to the Word of God this morning, I invite you to please bow with me in a word of prayer. Our God and Father, we ask in this time this morning that you would please instruct us by your Word. Remind us of the great treasure that we have in the Bibles that sit in our laps, and I pray that this year, 2022, that you would help us to be shaped by Scripture. For your glory, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Well, this past summer, my wife and I had the privilege of spending a few days by ourselves as part of our wedding anniversary. And we were able to visit La Jolla, uh, down La Jolla Cove, down in San Diego. And we're able to get out on some kayaks out in the water, and uh, it was a beautiful July day, and we're able to see some amazing things out there on the water, we're able to see the Garibaldi fish, the bright orange swimming underneath us, we're able to see some leopard sharks that were under, in the water as well, and sea lions on the rocks with their pups, and just a, a wonderful time to see bits of God, God's creation in a different way and from a different vantage point. But in addition to the biological attractions, we were also able to see the geological attractions that were there, and particularly the sea caves that are there in La Jolla. And there are seven sea caves that are there that have been carved into the rock face. Uh, All but one of them are accessed by water. Uh, They were originally designed uh, and they could only be accessed by water except for a German immigrant at the beginning of the 1900s decided to bore, bore through the rock from the cave upward, uh, creating a hole up top and charging people to go down his hole to go see the caves. And so that's the one that you can, uh, you can go down without getting wet. But uh, this, uh, these caves are amazing to see. They have been formed in this rock face by the pounding waves over thousands of years. As the rocks on a daily, or the waves on a daily basis pound against these rocks, they've formed these amazing caves that are there uh, in what would seem to be unchanging rock. And yet, they've been chipped away, they've been carved away, and you can see this sort of reality, the work of water against rock in many different places on this planet, and it truly is amazing. But I say that to remind us this morning that we too are shaped by waves. That as people who live in this world and live in this society, we are being shaped. And there are waves that come across us and and seek to influence us and shape us every day. And particularly, it's the waves of this world that seek to shape us. And they're unavoidable. We, as it were, live in the midst of the ocean, and you can't dodge a wave in the midst of the ocean. There's no way to get away from it. These waves hit us at work, they hit us at school, they hit us in our families and even in our neighborhoods. They hit us through the news. These waves crash upon us through social media, through ads that we're bombarded with both online, on TV, and other forms of media. This world is trying to shape us into its mold. I hope that's not a news flash for you. Because, you see, that our great enemy, Satan, knows that like the rocks along the beach, over time, people will be shaped by this onslaught. And don't you feel that every day, every week? Every month, this barrage, seeking to form us, entice us, move us in the direction of the values of this world. And it's precisely because the world seeks to shape us into its mold that God, through the Apostle Paul, gave us the command in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, which says, Do not be conformed to this world. Do not be shaped into the mold of this world. He tells us that we're not to allow ourselves to be pressed into the mold by godless ideologies, passions, uh, unbelieving values, and worldviews of unregenerate man. This world, we're told in 1 John chapter 5, lies in the power of the evil one, and he uses all areas of his influence to attack Christ and Christ's people. Now, we know that Satan attacks the church through persecution and suffering, bringing difficulty often through governments. But he also attacks through temptation. In particular, Satan wants the church to look like the world. This is the constant uh, mission of Satan in the lives of believers. He wants to continue to see our lives look more and more like the unbelieving world around us, which means that he wants us to obey less and less Christ and his word, and for us to instead follow our own hearts and passions and desires and live in sin and in defiance of our creator. This is the battle that's going on around us. And Satan wants Christians to lose their distinctiveness and their effectiveness for Christ. Christ. And so Jesus' words through the Apostle Paul in Romans 12 too is a clarion call for all generations of believers in every place on the globe. Do not be conformed to this world. And that means us as well. And I want to invite you to turn first this morning to Romans chapter 12. As I've mentioned already, Romans chapter 12. My goal this morning is to encourage us to look with fresh eyes upon our Bibles, whether you turn the pages or tap to the verses, the Word of God that we can read in our own language is a tremendous treasure that we must not forget and that we, I encourage us here in 2022 to commit ourselves to with renewed vigor and renewed interest that we might be people shaped by the scriptures in this new year. I want to start us this morning by looking at Romans 12, 1 and 2. These verses are the hinge of the book. The first 11 chapters are all, have all been on uh, the belief, the doctrine. And then starting in chapter 12 through chapter 16 is all on, on duty or on uh, behavior. This is what you need to believe. This is what you need to do. And these verses here turn that hinge of the entire book. Look at what Paul says. Follow along as I read. Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Notice, here, Paul starts out, I appeal to you, brothers. He's making an urging, a, a pleading, an exhortation. He's pressing these things upon this church in Rome, and by extension, all believers since. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers. The therefore is, means his appeal is based upon the first 11 chapters, everything that he said prior. Because of what God has done through Jesus Christ, I now press this upon you. And he reminds us of all that he had said before with the phrase here, by the mercies of God. I appeal to therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. Again, a summary statement of the first 11 chapters. He spent 11 chapters talking about salvation through Jesus. All that Jesus has accomplished for us, that through faith we can be justified, we can have peace with God, and through the work of his spirit we're being sanctified and made more like His son being conformed into the image of Jesus and none of that is because of your effort because of my effort because of anything that we've gained because of any sort of merit that we are deserving of God's work in us or deserving of God's salvation of us no this is by the mercies of God friends this is the great truth of the gospel is that you and I can know Jesus and know eternal life because of his mercy and his mercy alone. By the mercies of the living God, because of all that God has done through Jesus, he says, look at it, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Hearkening back to the Old Testament, where the Jews were called to sacrifice animals upon the altar. As they slayed the animal and placed it up there to offer it unto God as a pleasing aroma to the Lord as it burned on the altar. Here, Paul says that we as believers are to regularly, daily present our bodies as a living sacrifice. In essence, we are the animal who climbs up onto the altar ourselves so that we would be sacrificed to the Lord. This is a reminder that the Christian life begins with surrender and self-denial. Not seeking to assert ourselves or our freedoms. We simply surrender ourselves before the Holy God. We give ourselves to him totally and completely. Salvation is not a deal where we say, God, I'll give you something if you give me something. Salvation is total and complete surrender to the awesome majesty of God. Recognizing that in light of his holiness, we are deserving of eternal wrath and punishment, but because of his mercy, he has saved us. And so we give ourselves to him freely and without reserve. We don't live for ourselves, we live for Christ. And this isn't just an internal like soul offering. This is all of us, everything that we are, encompassing our entire lives. He says to present our bodies as a living sacrifice. Holy and acceptable to God, he says. Holy, meaning it's set apart. Holy, meaning it's purified, unstained from sin. We're not perfect, but we seek to be washed by the blood of Christ, seeking to present ourselves before him as believers who are forgiven in him, have repented of our sins, and want to live holy and pure lives for him. And by doing this, we're worshiping God Notice he says this is our spiritual worship. Our worship is not just songs on Sunday, although it is that, but that is part of a larger picture of us offering ourselves to the Lord on a daily basis, giving ourselves to Christ, living for him, surrendering to his lordship at all times. And so if we're surrendered to Christ on a daily basis, then we must also reject any molding the world tries to force us into. We don't belong to the world. We've surrendered to Christ. And so we do this by some work. We don't just coast in the Christian life. We can't just say, oh, I belong to Jesus now and then just expect everything to carry on and for us to suddenly be conformed to Jesus 20 years down the road. There's effort that's involved, which is why there's commands here in verse 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. We must be working, Paul is saying, to replace the waves of the world with the waves of the word. Have our minds shaped by a different force than what is all around us. We want these waves of the word to wash over us and our families and our church that it might have its perfecting work in each one of us. And so you see the negative and the positive. Do not be conformed to this world. Don't be pressed into its mold, because, in other words, it is trying to press you into its mold, but rather be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Friends, we want to see behavior change. We want to see our lives different. We want to see ourselves live for the glory of Christ, but it all begins in the mind and in the heart. We can't expect to simply change behavior without dealing with our hearts on the inside first. The inside needs to be renewed before the outside is changed. Because, you see, to try to simply change behavior without changing the inside is like author Paul Tripp says, is stapling uh, cardboard apples up onto a fruit tree and saying, see, look, it's a fruitful tree. I see apples on that tree. No, that's just changing the external, but not changing the fact that the tree is dead or the tree needs changing. And so Paul envisions a church where the people are being transformed by a regular continual process whereby their minds are being renewed by the scriptures. And when they do this, they will be prepared to live out the will of God. Notice what it says. Be transformed by the renewal of your mind so that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. He wants to see the church set free to please God in all that they do, to know what God's will is for their life. But that's only going to happen as they allow the Word of God to shape them. So my burden for us here in 2022 is that we, as God's people, that we would be shaped by the Scriptures. I pray that God would ignite in us such a desire to know the contents of this book, to not see it as the world wants us to see it, which is just ink on a page, as Hopelessly outdated. Friends, this is the word of the living God. And it must take center place in our hearts, in our lives, in our homes, in our church. Now all of us are in different places here this morning. Some of you have been going full throttle into into your Bibles and into the word of God and praise God for that. And I hope that my words this morning can encourage you to continue to keep your foot on that pedal. Some of you maybe need to blow some dust off your Bible. Maybe it's been a while since you've opened its pages, really spent time in it. Maybe you've been taking nibbles of the Word and not really tried to find the meal that's there. I pray that my words, particularly the words of the Word, would encourage you to go all in, to not hold back, Paul makes it clear that the church is to be different from the world. We live in a world, we live in the world, but we're not of it, as Jesus said. We're a distinct community of people who are lived submitted to the Word of God. We follow the will of God. I like to say that we're people of the book. Everything about our salvation, about how we're supposed to live, it's all right here. We follow the word of God. In one sense, it's simple. Refreshingly so. In another sense, it requires discipline and vigor to keep ourselves studying of the word and submitted under it. Without the Bible, we wouldn't know how to live. We wouldn't know who Christ is. We wouldn't know salvation. We, do, we rely for everything from the word of God. So we're people of the book. And so with that, all that is set up, I want to give you here, with the remainder of our time this morning, three exhortations. Three exhortations so that we will be shaped by Scripture in 2022. Three simple exhortations. This isn't rocket science, but hopefully encourages you. Scripture will shape us this year if, number one, we believe what the Bible says about itself. We believe what the Bible says about itself. Oftentimes, people can think the emphasis that is placed upon the Bible, the centrality that we give it, the authority that we see in it, is superimposed. That we simply took a, a text and we, and we elevated it for our own purposes. In other words, they believe we're, give, we're giving prominence and authority to it that it never claims for itself. But that just simply isn't true. The first thing I want to remind you the Bible says about itself is that It's reliable. It's trustworthy. It claims to be a reliable record of events by eyewitnesses. It's historical. I, I, we, in our normal exposition here on Sunday mornings, we're going through Luke, and the gospel Luke begins by Luke saying, listen, I've done... All this interviewing and hunting down all these sources in order to bring you a reliable historical record of the events of the life of Christ, and that represents what we know about all of scriptures. And not only was it written by eyewitnesses, but it was verified by those who lived in that time. Remember, this wasn't; these things weren't written uh, hundreds of years afterward. They were written in the lifetime of the eyewitnesses, and therefore other eyewitnesses could confirm it as well and go, yeah, that didn't happen, or that did happen. These are not some sort of made-up stories. These are historical records that are, can be trusted. But the second thing I want you to remember this morning about what the Bible says about itself is that it's supernatural. The Bible is Supernatural. You see, the Bible doesn't just claim to be a historical book, uh, just a place, uh, just a historical record, but it claims to be divine in origin. If you read through the Old Testament, you see a phrase over and over again, right? Thus says the Lord, or the word of the Lord came to so-and-so, and thereby showing that these are the words of God that were given to the people of God, and they were written down, and therefore hold instruction is the word of Yahweh. And this is the doctrine that we call inspiration. Inspiration. Now today, inspiration can often be talked about uh, motivation or a a spark of inspiration for an artwork or something. I was inspired by this or inspired by that. The word inspiration here used in the technical sense of a doctrine means that God has inspired, he's breathed out the word of God. And we get this, particularly in 2 Timothy 3.16, 2 Timothy 3.16 says that all Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. The Word of God, the Bibles that we hold, came out of the mouth of God, just like the stars in this world was created by the breath of God, as Psalm 33 verse 6 says, says, by the word of the Lord the heavens were made, and by the breath of His mouth all their host... So the word of God, the Bible, was brought about by the breath of God. The power of God produced our Bible. And listen, friends, no other book has this quality. No other book can said to be inspired by God in this way. Now, yes, human authors wrote it. But God superintended. God worked through those human authors to bring about the divine book that we have. Second Peter chapter 1 Describes that process clearly for us. It says, knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from one's, someone's own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Friends, let this truth arrest you in a fresh way this year that the Word of God is breathed out by God, that these, this Word that we have is, comes directly from the Lord Himself. The Bible is not just some other book. It is the word of the living God. And so because of that, thirdly, it's inerrant. The Bible is inerrant. Now this is a derivative doctrine from the previous one. If truly the Lord God of heaven and earth has spoken this word, and this is his word, then what kind of word would that God produce? What is the character of that God who speaks this word? Well, would it be partially true? Would it contain some mistakes and some errors? Would it be true in some areas, but not true in others? Would it be reliable in some areas, but not in others? No, this, this word is true through and through. Because it, the God who spoke it cannot lie. Numbers twenty three, nineteen says... And Titus chapter 1, verse 2 says that God does not lie. Therefore, it's saying that the words that come out of his mouth are not lies. There will be contained no lies. He does not work in shades of darkness and light, for truly he is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. And so Jesus can say in John 17, 17, Your word is truth. Period. When God spoke, he didn't stutter or stumble. He didn't allow humans to taint it with errors. And what many skeptics say are contradictions or errors prove to be nothing of the sort when understood in context. Friends, your Bible can be trusted completely. It is a true and accurate word of God. And no other book can make that claim. Now, because it's inspired, it's breathed out by God, because it's inerrant... It also claims, fourthly, to be authoritative. To be authoritative. This is the word of the king. This is the word of the Lord. Not just some sort of spiritual devotional book to make you feel good that you can pick up when you want to. This is the authoritative word of the Lord of the universe. It has authority over our lives, over the entire earth. We are his subjects and we must listen to the king. It's that simple. Jesus and the apostles, they regularly appealed to the Old Testament, quoting it to their followers and we have recorded for us, recognizing that that Old Testament was authoritative. And then the writers of the New Testament also recognized that their writings were authoritative as well. Not only have they, did they give commands to the churches saying, hey, do this and do that, even as we've seen already in Romans chapter 12, but they said, hey, when you're done reading this letter, give it to this church, and when that church is done reading their letter, you read it, recognizing that what they've written is authoritative and from the Lord. So friends, in this new year, we need to be reminded that we don't stand over the word of God, judging it by our own reason. The word of God stands above us. And we submit our lives to it. We don't just seek to apply the Bible to our life, making it fit into the cracks and crevices of our life. We apply our, ourselves to the Bible. And we seek to form our life into its mold because this is the word of the King. But not only is it authoritative, it's powerful. It's the fifth characteristic this morning. It's, it's powerful. This word does things that no other word can do. By the power of the Spirit, it brings life where there was death, it transforms. Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 1 that believers have been born again. We've been given new life through the living word of God. He says, you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. Friends, it's through the truth of the gospel given through the Bible that it brings new life to us. The scriptures bring salvation. They are able, as Paul says, To make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. The Bible is able to make us wise for salvation. Not our argumentation, not our words and what we come up with, but what the word of God is able to bring salvation. These scriptures are also sanctifying. Yes, they bring us into new life with Christ, but then they also continue to transform us that we might be conformed in the image of Christ. Psalm 19 tells us that these scriptures revive the soul. They make the wise the simple. They rejoice the heart. They enlighten the eyes. The scriptures also help us to discern ourselves. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12 says, For the word of God is living and active. And sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. The word of God pierces us. It can help us discern between our thoughts and intentions. Why do we do what we do? The word of God is powerful enough to help us discern that. It cuts into us. The sixth and finally this morning, what does the Bible say about itself? It says it's sufficient. The Bible is sufficient. Now, this is an attribute that's regularly challenged by many people, but even surprisingly by those in the church. In other words, they'll claim, yes, we believe the Bible's true. Yes, we love the Bible. But then when it comes to different areas of their life and different things that come up in how they live, they opt for a policy that's more the Bible plus something. Yes, the Bible's great for helping me to worship Jesus, but I need the Bible, but I need something else in order to live a more fulfilled life. And in doing this, whenever it's the Bible plus something, it undermines the sufficiency of Scripture. It says that the Bible is not enough for us. But guys, the the Scriptures are clear. That we have been given all that we need through the Word of God. 2nd Peter chapter 1 verse 3 says his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. All things that pertain to life and godliness. That's pretty broad and all-encompassing. All that we need to live life here on this earth to live godly lives before the Lord is found in the word. 2nd Timothy 3:16 says right after it says that the word of god has been breathed out by god it says it's been pro- it is profitable for teaching for reproof for correction and for training in righteousness that the man of god may be complete equipped for every good work do we need as christians anything else to be fully equipped for every good work no everything we need to be corrected, everything we need to be taught, everything we need to be directed in the ways of God to live happy, fulfilled, God-honoring lives is found within the God-breathed word. I want you to see this also in Psalm chapter 19. I referenced it earlier, but I want you guys to see this. Psalm 19. Psalm 19 is a classic passage on the sufficiency of the word of God for the believer. Psalm nineteen and particularly this this psalm is, is great. It starts out in the first uh, six verses talking about general revelation that we can see through nature. And then it turns in verse 7 to begin to talk about special revelation, the Word of God. And I want you to see verses 7 through 9. David writes, "The, The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, Enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. we see in these three verses. Number one, six labels for the word of God, right? Law of the Lord, testimony of the Lord, precepts, commandment, fear, rules. And then we see six qualities of that word. It's perfect. It's sure. It's right. It's pure. It's, it's clean, true. And then six results of the word that I referenced earlier. The word of God is sufficient to be able to form us, to shape us, to be able to transform us into the image of Christ. And so church, for us to be shaped by the word of God, we not only need to be convinced of its inerrancy and of its authority over our lives, of its inspiration, but we need to be convinced of its sufficiency for our daily lives. For the life that you live, nine to five, Throughout the week, the word of God is sufficient to help you to live the happy, fulfilled life that God wants for you. Now just, there's some current attacks on the sufficiency of scripture. There are just examples of ways in which these things seep into the church and Christians can begin to think they need the Bible plus something for understanding what the Bible claims. A recent one for people trying to better understand themselves, and want to understand why do I do what I do? Why do I act the way that I do? Why do I make choices the way I do? Why do I I, uh, relate with other people the way that I do? is a thing called the Enneagram. And some of you may be aware of this. In some circles it's claimed to have uh, Christian origins but let me warn you, it has nothing of the sort. It is not uh, drawn from the Word of God. It's, it was discovered and created by pagan teachers. And many will try to use it, oh, it's just a personality test. But I've heard even by those who study such things that it doesn't even pass as a good personality test. But on top of this, it's, again, it's making inroads into the church with major evangelical publishers publishing books that try to market this as a way to better understand yourself and better live a happy, fulfilled life in Christ with titles such as The Road Back to You. Friends, let me tell you that, number one, we don't need a road back to ourselves. We carry ourselves around with us all the time. But this isn't a road to better understanding ourselves. It's a road that leads away from the scriptures and away from the sufficiency of the word of God to better understand ourselves and it pushes us off into a sea of mysticism and subjectivity. As I mentioned earlier, the Bible is sufficient for us to understand what we do and why we do it. The biblical anthropology that says why do humans act like they do? Why why do people all over the globe do what they do? The Bible gives us clear understanding for that. It's called the heart and it's called sin. Now everyone's unique and different and we need to better understand how our hearts operate and all those different things. But the, the core components for understanding why we do what we do can be found right in the word of God. Another example of a way that sufficiency of scripture is undermined in the larger evangelical church is a practice called mindfulness. And I just, Christian mindfulness, I would, just, I would put this into a larger a category of Eastern mystic practices that are making inroads into the church with label, we simply just uh, put Christian in front of it and then we're, we're good to go. Christian yoga, Christian mindfulness, you just uh, put Christian in front of it and it makes it all better. But uh, this is, the purpose of these things are, uh, the books, again, books being published, telling Christians that if you really want to have peace and serenity, if you really want to live a life of, of, of fulfillment. They need to adopt these practices that are nowhere found in Scripture, that are again adopted from pagan religions. They may have tried to be sanitized for a Western audience, a secular audience. But friends, everything that we need to know to live a life of peace and wholeness and fulfillment is found in the Word of God. God has given you everything that you need, believer. He didn't give you a package in which you open it all up and you go, what? He left something out. No, he didn't leave anything out. He gave it all to you that you just need the word of God to study it and you can live the life that he is, he wants for you. Thirdly, the third undermining, the sufficiency of scripture I'd mentioned is critical race theory particularly in the name of trying to bring about unity in the church, they say, we can't just go to the Bible to figure out how people of different ethnicities can work together. We need to bring in this other ideology to help us understand people and what they've done and help us sort out and bring about unity in the church. And I'd say, friends, that undermines the sufficiency of Scripture. The Bible is sufficient for life and practice in our lives and in the church. The gospel of Christ is sufficient. We need not look anywhere else. So, to summarize what I've been saying so far, we need to be shaped by Scripture, and that will only happen if we believe what the Bible says about itself. If we don't believe these things, then it's just going to be a a, a book on a shelf, it's just going to be an app on our phone, it's not going to be touched. If you don't believe that the Bible is inspired by God, inerrant, authoritative, or sufficient, you won't be shaped by it. It might be a nice thing that you'll consult on the side, but you will, the waves of it will not form you. So, the first exhortation I have for you this morning is to believe all that the Bible says about itself. The second exhortation I have is to devote time to spend with the Bible. This is the simple outflow, right? If we're going to be shaped by the word, then we need to devote time to be shaped by it, to spend time with it. Again, those sea caves were shaped by time of those waves pounding against them. And we're not gonna be shaped by the Word if we don't spend time in it. And so just four practices to remind you of to think about how you might spend time with the Word of God in this new year. The first is obviously reading. God gave us a book. God didn't give us a mini-series. He didn't give us a film He didn't give us an illustrated book. He gave us a book, which means that there's words to be read. And that means that we must spend time reading the book. in many sense, we call it a book, but it's really a library, right? It's 66 books, written over thousands of years by many different authors, and yet with one undeniable unity because of the divine author. James chapter 1, verse 21 says, Therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Friends, that not only save in terms of initial salvation, get you in the front door of the Christian life, but I believe save us on a daily, regular basis to help us to mortify, put to death the sins of the flesh and to be able to live in the salvation of Christ. We need to repent of our sin, put away all filthiness, the, 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 the wickedness and malice that continues to be within us, And then to receive with meekness, to receive with humility, the word of God. The implanted word. Remember it was John Piper who said, how do we receive an implanted word? Right? That seems to be something that you receive once when you implant something. But it's kind of like oxygen. It's something that you need in your first breath of life, but it's something you need every day after that, every moment after that. We continue to take it in, continue to take it in. There's personal reading. Spend time daily in the word of God. The Bible, it's been said, the Bible should be bread for daily use, not cake for special occasions of need. Too often, right? The Bible sits there until we absolutely need it and then we pull it off. And yes, it does find fulfillment and give us something in that time, but we need it to be daily bread. And parents, let me encourage you to set an example for your children. If they see you, Daily, reading your Bible, it will become a, a, a powerful example in their lives. I can tell you, as one who grew up in the church, that one of the greatest exhortations to me to get into the Word was the example I saw in my parents every single day. That over time, yes, they encouraged me to read, they encouraged me to read, but what, what really pressed me was their example. That I can look back and go, you know what, they've been doing this for years. They're not just saying this. This is true. The word of God is a part of their lives. I need to make it part of my life as well. A story is told of a mother who was trying to get her eight-year-old daughter to learn her Sunday school lesson. And at length, she, finally, she took her Bible from the bookshelf and said, Come, Mary, I will help you learn your lesson, and then you may go back to your play. All right, mother, but let's study it out of grandfather's Bible. It's much more interesting than yours. Oh, no, Mary. These Bibles are exactly alike. Well, she said, I think grandfathers must be more interesting than yours. He reads it so much more. Funny, but convicting that our children recognize how we handle the Word of God. So, what time of day? Plan what time of day you're going to read the Word. Choose a plan that you will follow. If you fail to plan, you'll plan to fail. We have many uh, reading plans listed on our website. There's even a website where you can devise your own plan. How many days do you want it to be? How many chapters do you want to cover? And it gives you a schedule for it. There's no excuse for not having a plan, but just stick with one. There's no, the magic or the, the key is to get in the word, whatever that might be. And then it requires us to discipline ourselves for the purpose of godliness and carry it out. If we get off the track, we get back on and we just continue to get into the word and feel the waves of that. Parents, read the Word of God with your family. Husbands, read it with your wives. Parents, read it with your children. Make the Word of God a part of your home. Again, the waves of the Word must be over us on a daily basis. You can also listen to the Bible. And a few years ago, we uh, opened up the possibility for you to be able to use an app called Dwell, which is a new way to listen to the Word of God. If you'd like access to that. We provide free, free uh, subscriptions for those in our congregation. Contact Josh Powell or our church office and we'll be able to get you connected with that. But there's many apps that read the Word of God to you. You can listen to it on a commute or on a walk. Find ways to get the Word of God in your ears and in your head. So that's first reading. Secondly is studying or exploring. Studying or exploring. This is like we're going into a magical forest and we're just going to discover all that God has for us in the Word. We need to mine its, its blessings that are found there. Read it deeply. Follow traces of themes throughout the Word. Thirdly, we want to memorize it. Commit it to memory. Our children are memorizing it in Awana, for those of us who have our children there in the Sunday evening program. Our TC guys, the guys in the train center the first semester, memorize some 500 verses or so. listen, We all have capacity to memorize the word of God, to plant it deep in our hearts. And then as we memorize it, fourthly, we meditate upon it. As it sits within our hearts, we need to to mull on it, to not let it go in one ear and out the other. We need to stew on it. We need to let it percolate within our hearts and minds all day thinking about it. Maybe that's putting a verse on our phones or, or an index card in our pocket, some way that it's before us that we can be reminded of those truths and we can listen to the voice of God through his word. We know the exhortations of the Lord to Joshua, right? This book of the law should not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night. Friends, if we are delighting in the word of God, we're going to spend time in it. And so I encourage you, figure out ways to get into the word this year. And find the joy that comes from soaking and being shaped by the Bible. The third and final exhortation I have for us this morning is to commit to obey the Bible in whatever it says. Commit to obey the Bible in whatever it says. So simple. And yet the necessary outflow of everything that we've already said. The Bible is not just truth that we are to consult and decide if we want to take it or leave it. This is the authoritative word of the living God that we are to follow no matter what, no matter the cost, no matter the difficulty. James chapter 1 says to be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving ourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Hear that this morning, believer. Doing and obeying the word of God brings blessing. Obedience brings blessing. Obedience brings blessing, no matter the cost. Obedience brings blessing. And yet Satan's lie ever since the beginning is to think that God's not good, that his rules and his commands and his word is not good and not for our good. And if we were to actually follow it, we would lose out. That's the perpetual temptation that, that Satan is trying to get you to believe is that if you actually obey this Bible, well, you're gonna be unhappy. This is, the, this, is, this is the path of unhappiness. Yeah, it obeys God, but who wants to follow that path? No, 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 no. Cling with faith to the promises of the word that obedience brings blessing. And don't let the world or any other temptation convince you otherwise. This is the battle of a faith of our hearts. We must fight to be people who live by the book. Don't just be people of the book and say, Yeah, we believe the Bible. Yeah, we read the Bible. It's a nice book. We love to hear it taught. No, we obey the Bible. Because, friends, submission to Jesus means submission to his word. Jesus said in Luke chapter 6, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? How can we call him Lord if we don't obey his word? John chapter 14, he says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Do we love Jesus? Do we want to follow him that we must obey what he says? And not just obey the easy things. but Obey the places where it presses us the most. Here at Foothill Bible Church, this is one of our core values. Of our five, this one is determined to obey the Bible. And that is a commitment from us corporately, but it must be also a commitment from all of us individually. That as people of this church, as people of Christ, that we are determined to obey all that the Bible says. And I ask you, are you determined to obey the Bible? Are you willing to sit under the word of the king and follow all that he says for you? Friends, there are waves that are crashing against us all day long. And in this year, 2022, we don't know what waves are gonna come. We don't know what kind of pressures are gonna come our way. But we must resolve to be people of the book. Resolve to be rooted in scripture To delight in the word of the living God and to have our lives immersed in it. That we might be shaped by it in this new year and in the years ahead. Again, the church is to look different from the world. We're not to be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And so commit here to, to seek to be shaped by the word in this new year. And know that you will find great blessing this is not the path of a bum deal. This ends up in great rewards as the scriptures promise. And as we do so, we'll give God the glory for the ways that he transforms us and shapes our lives. Amen? Let's bow together in a word of prayer. Our Father, I come to you ask that you would please humbly transform us. Oh Father, we who are your children have been redeemed by you and yet we know that there's so much that we have to change in our lives. There's so many areas of sin that we need to repent of. So many areas of obedience that we need to change. And so we ask that you'd use your word as a chisel in this new year. To chisel away those rough edges that we might be conformed more into the image of your Son. Oh Father, there are so many temptations, so many things that fight against our being in your word. We live in a day and age in which the, mass, the masses mock your truth. Believing it to be just some nice spiritual advice for some people rather than the word of the living God that, who rules and reigns over all. Oh God, would you please... Confirm these convictions deep in our hearts that we might live differently, we might live boldly for you in this new year. We thank you for your work in our lives and it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.